I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. On today's podcast, I'm going to re-watch the Christopher Reeve version of Superman and provide you with a running commentary that can be listened to on its own or synced up with the movie. My name is Justin Hamilton, and if you've got me, who's got you? Here on Big Squid. given to wild unsupported statements. And I tell you that we must evacuate this planet immediately. Jor-El, be reasonable. Once there was a civilization, much like ours, but with a greater intelligence, greater powers, and a greater capacity for good. moment that world was destroyed but there was one survivor now wouldn't that beat all get out because of the wisdom and compassion of Jor-El 
Because he knew the human race had the capacity for goodness, he sent us his only son. His name is Kal-El. He will call himself Clark Kent. But the world will know him as Superman. This year, Superman brings you the gift of flight. Superman, the movie. Welcome to the Big Squid Podcast. I am wrapped to have you here uh, at any point. I don't know when you're listening to this. You might be listening to this in the future. But if you are listening on the 24th of July, I'm taking a guess that you are part of our remote viewing party for the film Superman. Uh, For anyone who is about to watch the movie and listen to this podcast at the same time on the 24th of July, I'm just going to spell it out now. Don't press play on the movie yet. I know what happened last week. Some of you just started pressing play and then you were wondering why you were half an hour out. (laughs) And it was, look, as I've said to a couple of you online, it was funny. But uh, if if you want to join in, bang on time. Wait, I'll, I'll count you down. It'll be good. And I'll just give a little bit of a preamble so you can set up the movie. It is uh, specifically the movie that goes for uh, two hours and 22 minutes. I think there was a three-hour movie. Look, to be honest, I'm by myself. (laughs) Three hours seemed like a lot. So, you know, don't... um, maybe, Maybe when I have someone to bounce off... Uh, we will do uh, a three-hour movie. But uh, for the moment, two hours and 22 minutes seem like uh, quite a lot as well. So uh, just make sure that you have the right one ready to go. Uh, There is on my screen, just so you know where I'm at, I've pressed pause and it's the old-fashioned Warner Brothers symbol. So if you can see that and it's on pause, then you're good to go. Okay, so... uh, also, if you're not uh, a member of the private page, you can uh, head over there right now. I'm keeping an eye on the page. If you are coming in late, I can uh, get you in, no problem. Uh, so all you have to do is just apply. It's really only a private page because everyone over there, you know, sometimes we're doing things like watching the Loki TV series and we want to talk about uh, what we've just seen without worrying about spoilers. So rather than have it on the open page where someone might be flicking by and then have something ruined, they know that if they come to the private page, they are only coming there because they know that the people talking about it have already seen it. So it's not a... uh, a clandestine kind of affair. It's just a, a nice place for us to all hang out and talk about things. And it's a great group. Uh, there's lots of suggestions going on, lots of things that people are reading and listening to or watching. And it, it's nice to hang out with them on a regular basis. But uh, even more so for these remote viewing parties, this has been 
a lot of fun so far. Uh, if this is the first time you've listened to the podcast, normally it's a podcast that celebrates art and entertainment and all sorts of things from TV to movies to books to graphic novels, music, whatever. Like whatever you're into, that's what we uh, devour and that's what we celebrate. That doesn't mean we're not critical, but we try to come at it from a place of love, unless it's the shape of colour. And then we're just rude. But everything else, we try to come at it from a place of love. But what we've been doing the last few Saturdays is we've been doing this remote viewing party where I record a commentary for uh, movies that you can either listen to as a normal podcast or you can sync it up with the movie, watch the movie and listen to it. Or specifically, you can do it at the same time that we're all doing it and it feels like we're all hanging out considering we're all in different places all over the world and also in different versions of lockdown. Some of us aren't, uh, but some of us are, you know, right into it. I'm in Sydney, so I'm four weeks in, and I have a feeling it's going to go for a little bit longer. Anyway, luckily, I have you. No pressure. So (laughs) at least I can hang out with you guys. Uh, One final thing before we get into the movie. I know this is a bit of a preamble, but I'm just making sure that you're ready to go and uh, not missing out on anything. One final thing. We have a competition for tonight. And the competition is an opportunity to win shit off my desk. And I have all sorts of things. I'm not going to tell you what you're going to win. Uh, I wonder if Sarah Bennett's received her package in the UK yet. Sarah, you're on holidays, aren't you? If you are listening to this right now, write to me on the on the Facebook thread. Um, so Sarah was the last winner of our competition and she's got some stuff on the way over to her. So you can win shit off my desk. And uh, to win tonight, all you have to do is on the private Facebook page, on the thread that we'll have going. It'll be a Superman thread. It'll be easy to find. I want you to be the first person to correctly guess my favourite character in the movie. That's all you have to do. Just guess, and you can win shit off my desk. I'm not going to give you any hints. I'm not going to tell you which character I love, but there is one. And if you get it right, you too can win a prize. So there you go. It's going to be questions. There's going to be stuff read out that uh, some of our listeners have added. Uh, There's going to be some facts. And we're also going to watch Superman. Uh, We've done The Untouchables and Raiders of the Lost Ark so far. I'm really looking forward to watching this with you. So let's get this going. I'm going to count down from five. And when I say one, we all press play on the movie. All right? Here we go. Five, four, three, two, one. Oh, shit. Did I set up my wine? Yeah, I did. Whew. That would have been a disaster. No wine for Hamo. Oh, I wonder who Jeffrey Unsworth was. I don't know if I've ever seen that before. I actually haven't watched this movie in a long, long time. Oh, yeah, I'd kind of forgotten this beginning as well. It's a very traditional kind of beginning, isn't it? 
you know, uh, obviously not the uh, original cover to Action Comics. If you remember, the original cover is uh, an amazing cover, actually. The original cover uh, for Action Comics, which uh, came out in 1938, is the figure of Superman holding up a car and he is looking like he's about to smash it and everyone around him is freaking the fuck out. Like, they are making a run for it. There is one guy in particular, if you don't know the cover, go and have a look at it. It's the guy in the bottom left corner and he is losing his mind. It's like it's like he was having a really good time and he was probably at the top of his job Probably thought he was the dude. And then Superman's come along and he's like, holy shit, everything's over. By the way, crazy, Marlon Brando, top billing. We'll get to Marlon Brando a little bit later. And then Gene Hackman as well. We've got some Gene Hackman facts for you. And, of course, uh, Richard Donner film. Richard Donner, who just died recently. Uh, Great director, and I feel like... um, like one of those directors that you don't quite realise exactly what he's made and then you look and you go, wow, that is a body of work, you know. Um, some amazing films, especially when I was growing up as well. I think he may have been kind of one of the... Oh, Christopher Reeve. Christopher Reeve. Uh, Ned Beatty, who we lost recently. But, uh, yeah, Richard Donner was kind of like one of the first uh, directors that I kind of knew as a kid. Um, Yeah, a lot of great, great, great films, uh, which we can get into a little bit later. Um, Of course, uh, Superman created by uh, two young Jewish boys, which is something that is... uh, not often remembered in Cleveland as well. Actually, uh, just as a bit of a sidebar, if you're in lockdown and you're looking for something to read, uh, Michael Chabon's The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay is my favourite book of all time and kind of tells a uh, a version of the Superman story. It's, um, you know, it's a fictionalised version about a character called The Escapist, uh, but it is a beautiful book and it's it's so lovingly written and i just oh i just love it so much but um yes anyway this music far out like he he's going to be the first comment i make that is um you know selling it short but that john williams right he can write some music <laughs> Let's have a look up uh, what John Williams, uh, once again, one of the, uh, probably one of the first um, uh, uh, American movie uh, composers that I really knew the name of. Um, oh, wow. He was born in, check this out, February 8th, 1932. He is 89 and still kicking on good work john williams so oh man like i've just looked up his uh (laughs) wikipedia and it's like holy holy moly there is um a lot here hang on i have to go to a whole new page 
lots of albums. So for a while there, this is what he reels off pretty much in a row. Jaws in 75, Star Wars in 77, Close Encounters in 77, Superman in 78, Empire Strikes Back, 80, Raiders of the Lost Ark, 81, E.T., 82, Return of the Jedi, 83, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom in 84, lots of other bits and pieces, uh, The Witches of Eastwick, Empire of the Sun, I'm just kind of giving you the big hits, Um, Home Alone, JFK, Hook, wow, that's crazy, isn't it? Uh, I remember seeing this uh, movie with my mum. She took me to see this film and I was pretty much wrapped from the get-go. It's <laughs> an impressive start, isn't it? It's an angry-looking son. Um, you know, so it's always been so frustrating, isn't it, that they can't quite get Superman right now. I agree with the author, Grant Morrison, who thinks it is just a bit boring when you always make Superman evil. Just feels, just feels weird. I don't quite know why we want to do that all the time. Why do we want to make... Superman be a bad guy. There's something very teenage about it, don't you think? Oh, imagine if someone really nice was shootouts. And it's always over weird things as well. Lois died, so now he's evil. As Grant Morrison said, you know, his um, <laughs> his mum and dad died. Guess what he didn't do? Go crazy and start murdering people. Anyway, that's always been one of those bizarre things. That's uh, That's some severe model work isn't it it's great and these faces as well are just great it really gives you a sense of uh you know the imposition of the people in charge you know you can look at everything that's going on with krypton now and you know maybe maybe jor-el is bernie sanders <laughs> you know maybe it's him desperately trying to explain hey everything is really shit in the world and we need to fix it and if you've never thought that maybe it was a bit weird that krypton had all these problems and nobody listened to jor-el well no one really listens to bernie sanders either so uh this is great. Like, it's such a imposing beginning. And also, like, I don't know why, but that is just lights and hula hoops. <laughs> and it is so effective. Jeez, he's a scary looking guy, isn't he? Uh, oh, no, that is uh, that's a good look. Marlon Brando as well. Oh, yeah, I always found uh, so just a little bit... I don't know what that says about me. I found a, you know, as a as a kid, I looked and thought, wow, who is that? And uh, I wonder if that has <laughs> followed me into adulthood, which might not be a good thing. Who knows? And uh, this was the first time I'd ever seen uh, Terrence Stamp in a movie. So that's kind of interesting as well. Uh, I remember 
uh, mum hadn't seen him in a movie for a long time and she was a, a little bit like he was just a little bit older and he had a, a little bit more age on his face and uh, she talked about a, a movie called The Collector which is a story about uh, a, a man who's a serial killer and I remember watching it uh, you know a few years when it was suitable for me and he was so beautiful he was uh, such a stunning young man and even though he's still handsome and uh, has gravitas it's uh, it was i think it was like quite a shock for mum to see him uh, looking just that little bit older but you know it's like when you go back and you look at the uh, you know like robert Downey jr as a really young man and he is actually quite beautiful and then you know he gets a bit older and he lives a life and he has some things going on and then he gets a little bit more ragged and uh, a little bit scuffed around the edges and it it just transitions into a kind of different type of handsomeness doesn't it same with uh, Al Pacino Uh, Pacino you know was quite a handsome young man and then he went off and he did theatre for a while and then he came back in the movie Sea of Love I don't know if you've ever seen that before that is a wonderful film and uh he, you know, he just looked older, you know, and he, he just had some lines in his face and there's still uh, a beauty to him, but it is uh, just worn down a little bit. So I once went and saw the NBL basketball played at Rod Laver Arena in Melbourne and it was the first time that a professional basketball game had ever been played outdoors and when they uh, opened the roof it was a it wasn't quite as uh, large as this and it wasn't quite as momentous as this but there was still a sense of oh this is uh, giving me some superman <laughs> vibes and I remember uh, I think I was with Mickey D actually a comedian Adelaide comedian Mickey D and I think I mentioned it to him and he did not quite know what I was uh, talking about and I had to explain it and then he was very polite and he said oh yeah I know what you mean and he I don't think he did but I appreciated that he was very polite about it now this is awesome like the idea of the Phantom Zone just being like a two-dimensional mirror that they get trapped in and flung off into space I I found that quite scary as a kid. And there is something kind of terrifying about that. Like Krypton is terrifying. Like Krypton looks like a place that has really struggled for a long time. Like you, you kind of wonder what they've done to this planet. And uh, then for them to deal with everything in, in that way with uh, these uh, bad guys is really full on. But I always liked this version of Krypton. Uh, If you read the comics, it was a lot more colourful and garish and, uh, uh, you know, like if you ever saw the uh, old uh, drawings of Jor-El, I think he has like a green tunic with a big kind of sun on the chest and everything. And then, but I like this. There's something, I like the the coldness of it. Uh, It seems like it's a, a sterile culture. It kind of makes sense that you know it's it's like superman comes from a place of intellectual pursuit and uh, ends up in a place where there is uh, more warmth and emotion um 
So I I always quite like this. And uh, John Byrne, uh, the comic book artist and writer in the 80s when he revamped Superman in the six-part miniseries Man of Steel, he kind of lent into the sterile idea of uh, Krypton. And I I always quite like that. It's funny. Comics always get, you know, rebooted and revamped uh, throughout the years and, uh, you know... Like, like, I don't mind it when they kind of change things a little bit here and there, but that, uh, this was always my favourite. This was probably always my favourite because, you know, I was young when I saw this. I was like six or seven when I saw this film. So, you know, I keep thinking about how young I was when I saw a lot of films and it's like, oh, thank God I had a mum who took me to see these things. I, I do not underestimate that. Uh, I thought you might be interested to know that Superman was made for $55 million back in 1978, and it went on to make... Do you want to take a guess? Do you want to have a guess how much it made? $300 million worldwide, which made it number two at the box office. So, uh, another question for you. What do you think was number one? 1978, don't look it up, take a guess, have a little think. No? I don't know what you answered then. I (laughs) I was presumptuous that you got it wrong. Maybe you got it right. (laughs) Okay, it was Greece. Greece came in at number one. Then it was Superman, and then after that you get Jaws 2. Like, that is, let's be honest, that is, a like, Jaws 2. Jesus. Uh, and then National Lampoon's Animal House, which is kind of problematic when you watch it now, but when you watch it now, you still laugh a bit. Anyway, uh, then <laughs> Every Which Way But Loose and Heaven Can Wait, which I haven't watched in a long time, but that was... Uh, I've only ever seen that once, actually, but I remember that being quite wonderful. That's, um, I think, from memory, uh, Warren Beatty is in that, and he... Uh, I think he's a star footballer, and he dies, and he gets uh, reborn into a, another footballer's body, and it's kind of a comedy. I think it's kind of somewhere in that vicinity, but it's also quite poignant as well. All of this just looks so impressive, doesn't it? Like now, it looks like they're at the um, they're working at Apple. <laughs> maybe they are. <laughs> maybe maybe this is the new iPhone. Those uh, crystals. Ah, oh. you know what? I'm going to call Apple and I'm going to paint this idea. They can buy it from me. Oh, look at little Kal-El. Look at little Kal-El. Trying to remember, I haven't watched the uh, Watchmen series in a while, but I'm wondering if, uh, you know, there were all these. Uh, for those of you who haven't watched it, there's all these kind of Superman parallels in the very first five, six minutes of the movie, and there is a bit where the young uh, family are hiding in the theatre and they're watching uh, a movie on the on the big screen, uh, a movie about Bass Reeves and. I wonder if uh I wonder if that also was a little nod to the opening of this film. Hmm. 
There were so many other Superman parallels in there. Uh, I wonder if that is a thing or just a coincidence. That's what happens. When you start layering your work with lots of different things, uh, it does not take long for you to um, see some coincidences and wonder. Oh, I wonder what's going on there. I always found this quite sad. So, here's some Marlon Brando stuff for you. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't tell you right at this point because it's quite a quite a nice bit. But anyway, uh, how long do you think he's on screen for in this movie? Do you want to take a guess? No. <laughs> I'm guessing once again that you've gotten it wrong. Um, he's on the screen for 10 minutes. How many days do you think he took to film those 10 minutes? It was 12 days. What do you think he made for those 12 days? $3.7 million as a flat fee with a percentage of box office which resulted in da, 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 14 million. Wow. And here's the little fact that I wasn't going to read to you. Like, I, you know, I just rewatched Apocalypse Now for the first time in a long time. And, oh, by the way, the green crystal, I have no idea why, but the green crystal is such a good choice in this in this cold world you know having him wrapped in the colors of superman and the green crystal is just so good it just really stands out or look at all the it's just so much better isn't it with with practical effects i know i kind of bang on about things i'd prefer it to be a little bit wobbly than be you know not have any kind of weight to it. Um, so, <laughs> just in line with the uh, with the scene that we just recently saw of Marlon Brando, um, you know, as with Apocalypse Now, how he just refused to memorize his lines and he just refused to have uh, you know be professional in any way and and kind of do it all under the proviso of hey, you know, like. Uh, I got to make these lines be authentic and the way I make them authentic is to you know not learn them but uh, so he had he some of his lines were written on the baby's nappy and I want to tell you that because a big shout out to the actress playing his wife I'm not sure who that is off the top of my head but good on her because imagine you're in a movie and you're starring with Marlon Brando look at that like once again I know that is kind of looks a bit flimsy in a way and but also it's really effective and it's just there's just such a scale to it as well isn't there like there's a real scale there was always that thing as well. You always wondered why didn't um, why didn't uh, Jor El and his and his wife uh, you know jump on board? But uh, you know, I guess I guess it, it's weird, isn't it? Because one of the contradictions that has always 
been fascinating to me about Krypton is that they have uh, the ability to fly through space, and but they are also somehow uh, very much uh, tied into their planet. It's like if they had this kind of technology, why weren't they traveling around and, uh, you know, checking out other planets like why didn't why didn't they go elsewhere and get the powers you know it's just one of those kinds of little things that you <laughs> when you when you think too hard about these uh, stories uh, there's just that uh, tiny little uh, doubt as to what is going on but yeah it, this is effective like i remember seeing this on the big screen and it was it was full on. Like this is uh, like it's a lot of people dying. That's what that is. You know, there's nothing, nothing quite fun. It's quite a traumatic opening, isn't it? When you think about it, I don't even mind the people being superimposed. Look, anyway, um, here's a little thing that is reported about uh, Marlon Brando, which is reported as a fact, but is in actuality, not true. So, it's reported that Brando's flippant remark that the Superman S logo was a family crescent, and that has become canon in the comics. Before, he just he just wore an S because it was for Superman. Um, in, in the comics, it's now the uh, crescent of the L family. So... Just having some little... I had to rent this film, and uh, in all honesty, I'm just having the, just a couple of little pauses here and there. Nothing in, en- enough to really throw us too far out of whack, but it is stressing me out. Are you finding that with lockdown as well? Like, everyone's at home, and so the internet's just a little bit slow and a little bit fucking annoying, in all honesty. Why can't everyone else be locked in somewhere else so I can have good internet so I can record this for you? Bah. So uh, it was always reported that that was Brando's idea and it uh, is not true. That actually came about because Richard Donner insisted on grounding Superman in reality and screenwriter Tom Mankiewicz came up with the idea. But here you go. Just in, in case you didn't think... like. I don't believe that Brando came up with that because I just don't think he's thinking that much about that performance. Like, I think he's great for the the 10 minutes he's in the film, but he's not connecting with this film. Like, he's reading lines off the nappies. Like, (laughs) of course he's not thinking, oh, you know what the S could be? It could be a family crescent. It's like, he's not thinking that much about the film. But... And here's another bit of proof that he's not really thinking that much about it. He had uh, a meeting with uh, Richard Donner and he made the suggestion... (laughs) He made the suggestion that uh, maybe he could play Jor-El as a green suitcase or a green bagel because who knows what aliens from another planet might look like. So, could you imagine if you watched this film and we had just been sitting through, you know, 20-odd minutes of a green bagel putting Terence Stamp as General Zod in a uh, 
in the Phantom Zone or a green suitcase. But you know, you know why he's suggesting that is because then he can stay at home and he can record his lines without having to go to work. And you know, why would you want to go to work for twelve days for all that money, <laughs> Brando? What a what a interesting character in the world of movies. A brilliant actor, like you can't deny that. But um, yeah. What's going on, right? I thought uh, now might be a good time to um, read out some of the answers. Uh, On the private Facebook page, I asked uh, our members there a question. And the the question was... um, I'd like to know... uh, Oh, yeah. Sorry. I was just looking that up then and uh, I was thinking, oh, I feel like I've worded that incorrectly, but I was reading the wrong bit. And so pitch me your perfect superhero movie. And uh, I just got people to kind of keep it nice and short. And the reason is I've I've always... So Marvel has gotten back uh, a whole lot of their characters that they'd kind of leased out to uh, Netflix and, you know, they've now got the Disney Plus stuff going on and, you know, there's going to be a proliferation of superheroes in the Marvel Universe. So, you know, for a while there, it was like, it's Cap and Black Widow and Iron Man and Thor, but now we're about to you know, get a whole lot of new characters and there's going to, it's going to get really cluttered. You know, they've finally got that. That's a strong kid, by the way. That's a really strong kid. Oh, he's cute too, isn't he? With his little face. Um, You know, they've got Fantastic Four. They've got X-Men. Like, think about all of those new superhero characters that they will have to introduce into the... um, into the Marvel Universe. And it's like, well, why don't you set up a whole lot of your characters in a different era? And for years, for years, uh, a good mate of mine, uh, another pal of mine who was a comic book uh, reader, we always used to talk about... He was actually the the guy that kind of uh, got me into, you know, or introduced me to, you know, like Curtis Mayfield and all that kind of stuff. And we used to talk about, oh, how good would a Daredevil movie be in the 70s? Like, just set it in the 70s. Uh, you know, what's good about that is that, you know, New York and Hell's Kitchen in particular are just grimy there's a lot of uh, street crime. There's all sorts of shady dealings going on with politicians. And, you know, it's just a scary place to be. And if you set Daredevil then and he's trying to clean up Hell's Kitchen. Also, the fact is, is that there's not uh, a proliferation of cameras everywhere. You know, the, the you know, the uh, cameras aren't... You, ubiquitous on phones etc so having this uh, superhero who kind of exists in the shadows and and works on the streets would just be so good look at that car by the way (laughs) um yeah so if you kind of put daredevil in the 70s i think that just 
and and not just Daredevil as well. By the way, I'd put like all the black exploitation characters. I'd put uh, Luke Cage. Um, you know, by the way, when Clark has kicked that uh, American football. I always wondered if there's someone who's just about to drink from a perfect martini and the football just lands in his lap. (laughs) You know. (laughs) Ah, The running scene. The running scene. (laughs) Like, you know, like, I know it's a little bit cheesy, but it's also pretty cool as well. Oh, I've got a little a little pause thing going again. Sorry. So, uh, I will tell you... You will not know this, but we had some pausing uh, issues on my end, and I had to stop recording for a little second, and now I am back, and I am gonna be fine and i'm not going to be frustrated and i am going to just continue talking about what we were talking about before because you do not have to experience it so everything's gonna be okay (laughs) so annoying anyway i'm not gonna tell you how many times i've had to press pause so as if we were making the Marvel movies in the 70s, uh, yeah, I'd put all those black ploy, uh, black exploitation uh, characters that were inspired by uh, those times. You know, uh, that is uh, Luke Cage and Iron Fist. You know, that Iron Fist was around during the, uh, uh, was inspired by the Kung Fu era. You know, I know that Shang Chi is going to be in the, um, you know, in the current times, but I would have put him back then as well. It just would have... and then, But then what you can do is you can have all these movies that are set in a completely different era that are so early as well. It means that they're not having any real effect on, you know, current times. And then if you want to update the characters, it's like, you know, they're inspired by these heroes from the 70s. So... Do you know what I mean? Like, it kind of gives it a little bit more space and then you could understand that someone gets inspired by uh, those characters by finding them much later in life or whatever. Anyway, that's how I would do it. On the uh, private Facebook page, I uh, many years ago, there was a sizzle reel that was put together by a director who really pitched for a Daredevil movie. And anyway... It's, when I saw it, I had to send it to my friend and say, this is the movie that we've always wanted to see. And so they've cut together all this, um, if you know what a sizzle reel is, don't you? It's like when you uh, put together a whole lot of images, etc., that helps convey a feel as to what you would do. But anyway, it's on the private Facebook page. Go and check that out. And it is, it's exactly what I would love to have seen. Yeah, you'll, you'll be quite amazed at uh, the images but anyway i asked everyone um there what would make their perfect superhero movie so i thought i'd read out some of those to you uh Malks. steve how are you mate uh he wrote i think i got my perfect superhero film with the watchmen series yeah but that was a tv series you haven't answered the question come on Malk. 
You're better than that. You're a creative guy. <laughs> I know Mulk, by the way. <laughs> I don't want you to think that uh, I'm just suddenly berating someone. But I am berating you, Mulk. Oh, Parkent. Um, so I found uh, this scene to, like, as a kid, I found this to be really really upsetting and once again you know you, you've probably heard uh, Ben and I bang on about stuff before but um, you know like it's, it's one of the big missteps in Man of Steel in that like Kevin Costner as Park Kent I think is perfect Diane Lane as Mark Kent like just like great great casting and then they just kind of have like, they just do the weirdest things with Parkent, and he's, you know, like this Parkent, you, you can understand the, 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 the morals that he imbues his uh, adopted son with, and, but Parkent in uh, Man of Steel, he's like, you know, don't help anyone, don't do anything, don't show anyone what you can really do, and then in a scene where, he easily could have been saved. He just kind of waves him off. And it's like, I don't know. It's just such a, such a missed opportunity. I remember when that uh, casting was announced, I was so wrapped because this part of the film actually like had quite an effect on me as a kid, you know, um, you know, it just, I, it was, it was just such a misstep, a, a fundamental misreading of, of the character in so many ways. And, and, and like Park Kent as well. Like, anyway, this is a beautiful film too, isn't it? Like you kind of forget, uh, some of these scenes are just so, so gorgeous. And, you know, it feels very lived in. You can see why this was a major, major influence on Christopher Nolan's Batman Begins. I mentioned Christopher Nolan. Have a drink. Have a drink. Everyone have a drink. But it's true. Uh, it was a huge influence on Nolan. And it is very much the uh, idea of this... Um, you know, this is this is in a real world, isn't it? Like this feels very much like a real world. It doesn't feel like a uh, something that we can't relate to. You might not know this, but uh, both Superman and Superman Two were filmed at the same time, so there was always going to be a sequel, and they were getting right on top of it. But Richard Donner had a, a massive falling out with the producers. And in fact, he was arguing with them all the time because the the infamous producers, the, the Salkins, they, uh, I think that's how you pronounce their name, Salkind? I think so. They wanted the movie to be a wacky slapstick comedy. And it's like, well, that's that's a bummer. Who wants to... <laughs> But that explains the third film, doesn't it? Yeah, I remember... So, I was, once again, I was quite young when I saw the third film. And I remember a moment that when I look back at it, I think, oh, that's that's interesting that you were noticing something then. But 
there's the scene right at the start. Look at that. By the way, the, the green glowing crystal, can I just say, is never not satisfying. You know, in, even with the music, I know it's John Williams, but, you know, the raising of the green crystal and, you know, the look on on young Clark's face, it is... It feels very Spielberg, doesn't it? It's quite interesting. It feels like a very Spielberg kind of thing. Look at... Uh, once again, the... the the, the shots, they look like paintings. Oh, Mark Kent. So, um, so anyway, so uh, I'm going to tell you something in a sec, but uh, Richard Donner had a falling out with the producers, so I only finished 75% of the sequel. I forget who wrote to me on Facebook, but they said, you know, because uh, other directors were brought in to finish off the film, uh, they compared it to Joss Whedon coming in to finish off Zack Snyder's Justice League. But... Um, but I, as a kid, still really liked Superman 2, and I can see, like, what the complaints are. I've never actually watched the Richard Donner cut. Isn't that interesting? I've just realised that now. But, um, yeah. So, uh, but, yeah, I, I still really liked the... I still really liked Superman 2. There was lots of cool stuff in it, but um, that was what was going on there. So, anyway... The scene of young Clark out in the cornfields telling his mum that he has to leave. This fucking destroyed me as a kid. Like I, I cannot emphasise enough how much it upset me. And I know it upset me because I remember crying in the cinema, but I also know, um, I remember mum telling people that she was sitting there watching the film and she was just kind of watching it and, you know, I think she was enjoying herself and then she was like, oh, someone's crying, I wonder who's crying and then she turned around and it was me and I just found all of this so heartbreaking and the way it's shot as well, it, it it looks like it looks like a painting. It looks like it looks like a western as well, doesn't it? It's like you could imagine the cowboy having to uh, go on his way. Those, um, yeah, you can see how like it's pretty easy to forget that this movie is pretty influential, isn't it? And you can see even in some of these shots. Uh, you know, you can definitely see uh, the, I reckon, the uh, influence he's had on Nolan Have a Drink. Um, but anyway, what a heart, heart-breaking scene. Oh, and then he goes on his long journey. You know, it's interesting, so... You know, like, yeah, what are we? Well, 40-ish minutes into the movie and you still haven't seen Superman yet. See, that 
And, you know, it's great. Like, I'm loving it. It shows you that if you tell a story properly, you you can have all sorts of exciting things happen and you don't have to um, get straight straight into it. Like, I don't mind a movie that gets straight into it. Like, I don't think that's a bad thing at all. But, you know, the way this takes its time adds to the epicness of it, makes it feel a little bit more mythic. Um, While he's getting ready to... um, make his fortress of solitude the accidental name of where I'm living at the moment, <laughs> my my apartment of solitude, or as less uh, emotional and uh, people, it's, uh, it's my flat. Um, Tom Dahl in, uh, has replied uh, to my question, um, you know, what would be your perfect superhero film? I like this. A 1930s slash 40s Batman movie in uh, in the style of Warner Brothers or like a gangster film noir. I reckon that is a... That's a scorcher of an idea. I would be totally into that. You know, I, I'm, I, I don't quite understand where Warner Brothers is going with all of their ideas. I'm not sure that Warner Brothers knows. But... If they were just going to have, you know, all these different versions of Batman running around where you've still got the Ben Affleck Batman and you've still, we're about to see the Robert Patterson Batman and they're giving up all sense of how we're going to make all of this match up. You've got Michael Keaton, uh, re- he's returning for the Flash movie as Batman. So if you're going to have all these different versions, well, why not? Why not make a a 30s slash 40s Batman and do it in, you know, maybe do it, uh, maybe not necessarily in the style of Sin City, but maybe you can make it black and white. Would you make it black and white or would you just go some, some, oh, maybe, you know, you, you still want, you still want a good budget. And if you're going to have a budget, you got to uh, do it in color. So, uh, but sepia toned would look fantastic. That'd be so cool. Uh, you know, what would you go? Would you go like um, the penguin? The penguin as a as a crime lord. You could still have a version of uh, Two Face. You could still have the Joker running around. I'm guessing you want the Joker there. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of uh, mob characters that would be fun. And once again, you can make Batman technologically advanced, but not not quite as much. What do you? So, Tom, if you're uh, listening along to this podcast at this moment, what do you do? Do you make him? Do you make him look kind of muscular, like a, you know, like a, um, like like someone who would be fit back then, or because you know it takes you out of movies, doesn't it? It, you know, a character will smile, and you'll go. Why have they got perfect white teeth and this is 1930? Or you're really into something and then, you know, takes off um, takes off his shirt and you go, did people have six packs like that back then? I, I don't think they did. Um, yeah, let me know. I, I'm, I'm curious to know what kind of physique you would want uh, your 
uh, film noir Batman to have. Look at this. It's like, you know, we're um, crystal. <laughs> I can't stop thinking about Marlon Brando suggesting that <laughs> he could play Jor-El as a green bagel. Like, that is honestly one of the most insane things I have read in a long time, you know. <laughs> so good, isn't it, right? I always quite like this young actor as well. I've got something about him that I'll tell you a little bit later. Uh, Steph Perino, in answer to my question has said that she wants Iron Man the musical and writes, I don't think I need to say more, but I think you do, Steph, because there should be more to that. And there have been superhero uh, musicals in the past. So, you know, sometimes uh, <laughs> sometimes you, you say something and you think, that's insane. And then you look it up and you go, oh, my God, um, nope. There have been superhero musicals uh, in the past. I'm trying to... Of um, of course, there was the terrible Spider-Man um, that was Turn Off the Dark with two members of uh, U2. <laughs> there is a... Um, there's a story that um, I think... Uh, David Bowie took his daughter Lexi to see it and then he just sent I don't think he liked it very much Bono tells a story about him sending Bono all these notes and you just go that is that is insane all of that's insane um so so Steph I'm going to read out some movies that were um musicals so there was uh Popeye. Um, so they got uh, Robert Altman to direct Popeye, and they got Harry Nilsson to compose a score. Um, and um, the, yeah, it's a pretty, pretty bad film. Um, anyway. So that's uh, so. There's Popeye. There's a there's a Pokemon one. There's a Doonesbury one. There's a Superman one. So I thought this would interest you, Steph. Um, here's what it says. Perhaps the most infamous superpowered Broadway flop before a certain accident-prone web slinger. There you go. Charles Strauss and Lee Adams. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Survived only four months on Broadway when ticket sales that made a battle with Doomsday feel enviable. Um, uh, so, uh, hoping for a heartfelt ballad from Lex Luthor. Sorry, Strauss and Adams inexplicably ignore Superman's entire rogues gallery in favour of a groping and griping Daily Planet reporter named Max Menken. The show mines all its humour from the very idea of Superman lampooning every aspect of the world of Metropolis with broad vaudeville jokes that rarely land and woefully misunderstanding its central characters. Trust us, after hearing the kind of smug doofus the show at times makes the last 
son of Krypton, you'll be praying for him to destroy Metropolis Zack Snyder style again. <laughs> uh, that's really funny. That's really funny. Um, what else is there? There's, there's been Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. There's been a um, an Adams Family one. Um, so where? Oh, by the way, so we we finally we, we finally get a little flash of uh, Superman, and it's you know it's it's a fair way in, right? And that that little flash is just enough for you to go, oh, oh we're getting really close, getting really close, and then and then you get to the uh, part where we're in, you know, Metropolis, and it's I don't know, it just looks like a seventies movie, doesn't it? Like it, it shifts. I'll, I'll I'll tell you more about that a little bit later. But it's interesting the way the the movie kind of uh, shifts shifts tones and shifts styles, but is all still you know of a whole. And uh, I yeah, it's it's an incredible feat. And then um, oh, Lois. Lois, oh man. So I, I have firm views on Lois Lane. Lois Lane has to be the smartest, most intelligent, most interesting person in the world, and that's why Clark is attracted to her. And I reckon Margot Kidder nails it. I just think she is so wonderful in this role. I think she's really funny. She's sassy. She's you know, I know Sassy's used a little bit too much these days, but uh, you know, she's she's sexy, she's vulnerable. Oh, and Christopher Reeves, Clark. Oh, so good. You know, his his acting is phenomenal, and. <laughs> His inability to <laughs> open the bottle is like it's... Oh, and the mess it makes is just so good. Her trying to clean it up while it's all over his crotch. <laughs> He's so good. Oh, man. His acting is superb. Like you wouldn't believe that that guy is Superman. Like I know it's always the 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 joke is, you know, he's just put on glasses, but it's not. It's it's the way he holds himself physically. It's the way he he carries himself. You know, if you ever read the the best, if you've ever wanted to read a Superman comic and you don't really know because there's so many and it can be a bit overwhelming, and you just want to read something that tells one story. Uh, the Grant Morrison, uh, Frank Quitely, and uh, colours by Jamie Grant, All-Star Superman. You can get it all as one volume. And Frank Quitely is a genius. The, like, the way he draws Clark and the way he draws Superman, you know, you feel like it's inspired by the way Christopher Reeve holds himself physically, you know? And, you know, as Clark, his shoulders are rounded and he's, he, he kind of looks a little bit shorter. It's not just the hair. It's not just the glasses. It's, it's, it's everything about him. It's, it's amazing. And she is, 
She's great. She's just great, you know. Just really, you know, she's, you know, she has, like, she's a bit cynical and, and wit smart, but, you know, in her eyes and the way she carries herself, you know, you can see that there is um, empathy and you can see that there is uh, a level of vulnerability. Um, other musicals, uh, so, yeah. Spider-Man, this article here refers to it as the battlefield earth of Broadway. It's like, Jesus Christ. Um, So it says here that it's not that bad. Um, I feel like there were heaps of uh, accidents on it as well. (laughs) I feel like lots of people nearly nearly got themselves, uh, like there were a couple of people who were playing Spider-Man swinging along who, you know, do not have the best of <laughs> landing outcomes. But anyway, so there you go, Steph. If you want to make an Iron Man musical, or if that's your idea of your favourite uh, superhero, when you say, I don't think I need to say more, I think you do need to say more. Because I want to know more. So there we go. Um, all right. What else do we have here? Wayne Hunt wants to watch the, um, Iron Man musical. Do you now? Do you now, Wayne? You work in a comic shop. Surely you have something else in mind. (laughs) Um, you know... Being mugged in uh, 70s New York, that uh, feels like something that would happen, doesn't it? <laughs> Once again, it feels very much grounded in, in, in the real world. Um, I, I love how uh, Clark, you know, like he knows that he's fine, but he's still in character, but, he, you know, he still stands in front of uh, Lois, you know. It's so funny as well because you know Christopher Reeve was a handsome guy as well, but when he when he does kind of dress as uh, Clark, he is um, you know he's not he's not quite as attractive. By the way, is the crim actually quite? Um, he's he's not badly dressed, is he? Like, am, am, am I am I am I being rude? <laughs> you know the um you know once upon a time wearing uh you know glasses was seen as such a you know a dweeby by the way the grin on when he uh, throws the bullet to one side and gets up is it's fun he he really he really it enjoys the moment. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, he's so delightful. 
so delightful. Also, uh, interesting that we're finally going to um, meet Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor. So that's interesting, isn't it? Like, we're well into the movie and we're only just coming up to, to this. So, by the way... Getting back to my Daredevil idea, like just just look at all of the scenes of uh, New York in the background, and it's um, you know, do you see what I mean? Add in some Curtis Mayfield, whoo, that would be great. Look at this asshole. <laughs> it's um, it's funny the. You know, the producers wanted more slapstick, but I, I, I think there's, I think there's heaps of funny moments in this, but it never, never devolves. Like it just, Donna's just got such a good handle on everything, doesn't he? Oh man, did you see that African American guy's shirt? And when he was walking alongside Ned, whew. That was a scorcher of a shirt. One of, one of the things that I've always been disappointed about is that I've never... You know what? When I, I was about to say I've never quite had the physique to wear <laughs> outlandishly uh, <laughs> fun clothes like that. But um, no, that's not quite right. When when I did have the physique to wear clothes like that, the <laughs> the, the fashions back in the day... Uh, you know, like the 90s, it was, uh, you know, baggy shirts, big shirts. It's like, ah, uh, it's, it's when I could have worn something a bit tighter. Now, anyway, getting old is fun, isn't it? All of this feels a little bit dangerous as well, doesn't it, all uh, amongst the um, train tracks. I just remembered something that... God, I have not thought about this in a long time. I don't think I'd ever seen in... uh, I think this is the first time I'd ever seen anything where there were these little uh, spots where you could stand if you wanted to... If the train was coming and you could uh, hide in that little uh, alcove kind of thing. I remember my friend Matt Killard and I... uh, This was up uh, where he lived in Blair in Adelaide... And we were uh, walking along train tracks and we, we actually walked down a, a tunnel that, uh, and then a train came and we, there, there were two tracks, so it was, you know, it was not anything bad, but we stood in, in uh, one of those little alcoves and uh, watched as the train whizzed by and it was uh, exhilarating. <laughs> <laughs> like you know it was very very mild <laughs> but uh, as uh, as young fellas it was like oh my god that's so close um so i thought you might find <laughs> all the technology as well that's <laughs> great isn't it um to get into shape christopher reeve underwent a bodybuilding regime supervised by david prowse uh I'm sure there are a lot of Star Wars fans listening to this and you would know that David Prowse is the man who physically played Darth Vader in the Star Wars trilogy. Doesn't doesn't that just kind of change? Oh man, that's a 
you know, the guy getting crushed by the train is full on, isn't it? Um, so, you know, if you had um, a crossover <laughs> with Star Wars and Superman, you could you could have Darth, con- you know, confronting Kal-El. <laughs> Superman, I am your trainer. Doesn't have quite the same ring, does it, as uh, as a revelation? Just finding the hat. Like, there's no body. <laughs> it's Tess Marker. Um, uh, Valerie Perrine. That's her name, isn't it? Um, I'm just looking that up at the moment. I should have had the uh, movie up before so I could uh, just look a few things up. Um, you know the story for this is by uh, Mario Puzzo, who wrote The Godfather. That's crazy, isn't it? Like, that is crazy. Yeah, Valerie Perrine. Um, she's uh, underrated in this as well. You know. It's interesting, the, um, you know, her relationship with uh, Lex and... <laughs> look, at, look It's crazy that it's Gene Hackman, isn't it? For, for From all the reports I've seen over the years, uh, Gene Hackman is, you know, ne- never quite one of the most, um, you know, joyful actors to hang out with. And then he ends up uh, in this. There's some stuff about um, Gene Hackman for you. Maybe we, uh, you know what, I'll just read out. Oh, yeah, let's let's do this. Some interesting casting. So, Paul Newman was offered the chance to play all three lead roles. So he could have played Superman, Lex Luthor, or Jor-El, and he was offered $4 million. Uh, But he turned them all down. What do you reckon? Like, Paul Newman's great. I, um... Isn't Paul Newman maybe a bit too old for... Superman at this point, like uh, I think I think you want a slightly younger Superman. Uh, Lex Luthor would have been interesting. That's a that's certainly a very handsome uh, Lex Luthor, and uh, of course then there is um, Jor El. I feel like he's too young for Jor El. Anyway, Paul Newman, great actor, but uh, I feel like his instincts were right. Uh, Do you want to take a guess on some of the crazy names that I saw considered for Superman? Do you want to have a little guess while I have a little drink of my rosé? (laughs) Uh-uh. Sorry. Um, (laughs) Jimmy Olsen's dress sense is... (laughs) Confronting, isn't it? <laughs> ah, so good. Um, so some of the uh, people who were considered to play Superman. I don't quite quite know where to start, and I don't quite know which of these are insane. Like, like I don't know if some of these are possibly completely wrong or, but 
a lot of these feel right. So Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds isn't right. Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds can't play Clark, I don't reckon. Don't you think that's the major problem there? Charles Bronson. <laughs> Charles Bronson would have been perfect for Zack Snyder's <laughs> Superman. <laughs> Superman who just goes around incinerating everybody. Uh, Al Pacino and Dustin Hoffman. Just, no. Physically, no. Sylvester Stallone. I love Sly. Um, No. Uh, Like, could you imagine Sylvester Stallone? No, I just can't quite imagine Sylvester. Trying to think, like, this is this would be around the era of Rocky. Um, and he's wonderful in Rocky. And um, I just, once again, it's like you've got, to, you've got to pull off both. You've got to pull off... Like, you can't imagine... Um, you can't... You, you can't imagine... Um, <laughs> you can't imagine him being able to play the comedy of Clark Kent and then and Clark in a in a believable way. Um anyway, Robert Redford was also considered. Robert Redford isn't quite right. But he here's the really weird names and I I saw this come up a few times and I just don't know if this is people like having a stroke I don't know if this is real in any way, but it just came up enough times that I thought I would tell you. So the two strange ones were Muhammad Ali. This is like this is mid to late seventies Ali. Like this is big heavyweight champion Ali. This is Ali that's had some pretty brutal fights. And um Anyway, you know, that seems weird. But Elton John. Like, <laughs> like I know uh, later on there was, you know, when they were going to reboot Superman, there was there's all the stuff about Nicolas Cage. But um, Elton John. Like, that's that just can't be true, right? Or were they going to get someone else to play Superman? Like, get him to play... Um, get him to play... Uh, Clark Kent, I guess? Maybe that was more when they wanted it to be a slapstick kind of film. All this helicopter stuff is... Really... Full on, isn't it? Practical effects. So much better. Oh, yeah. Oh, Lois. So I'm guessing that guy's just had a heart attack. You know what? I don't blame him. (laughs) I'd be terrified. (laughs) And Lois is, um, you know, she's... Doing her best to get out of this situation as well. This is such a good build-up. This is such a good build-up. 
geez, he just, like, Donna just knows how to put it together. Oh, man. You know, like, it's, it's, I think that little taste of Superman flying out of the Fortress of Solitude is such a, such a, you know, a, a, a nice little appetizer. It's like, oh my God, that's what he looks like. I can't wait till we see him in action. <laughs> the, way, <laughs> the way Christopher Reeve comes out as Clark. Oh, was that Betty White? <laughs> <laughs> like Betty White running up to him, you know. It, even even now, it's deconstructing the Superman mythology. You know, we always knew he used to get into the let uh, into the telephone box, and, and there's the modern one that's not quite big enough for him to get changed in, and just the way he gives it the quick look. If if you didn't know any better, you know. But him just running and uh, just ripping the shirt back, it's great. <laughs> My God, he's so handsome, isn't he? What a what a handsome man! And this is great. This is just great. Oh, oh. <laughs> the news reporter. I cannot believe it. He just got her. <laughs> Not holy shit. There is a man flying, <laughs> and now catching a helicopter with one arm. <sighs> See, this is what. Uh, this is what. Like, like I don't. Want, I don't want to be. Uh, so f- for. I don't know if I've told this story on uh, the podcast before, but uh, when mum turned 60, I took her to New York and LA for her birthday. And then while we were in LA, a friend of ours uh, who worked for Warner Brothers got us in to a critic's viewing of Man of Steel. And we went in and like the famous uh, journalist uh, Leonard Moulton, was there, movie reviewer. All these famous uh, reviewers were in there and it was mum and I and we went in and we had a really, really good time. And I think because we had such a good time, I kind of really enjoyed that movie a lot more than I probably should have. (laughs) And I kind of was a bit defensive of it for a while. And, uh, you know, you've probably, you've heard me say this with uh, Ben before, but I, um, you know, I met Zack Snyder and, and, you know, did a QA and a for the Watchmen film with him and hung out with him a bit. And he showed me stuff from the film, uh, you know, in, in the cinema, it was just me and he was showing me this stuff and he was so nice. And, and I was really kind of, um, defensive of the uh of the film and then you kind of think about it and you go oh god it just gets so much stuff wrong like why isn't he going around just saving people left right and center you know like i know you you kind of get the stuff like it's all a bit too even when he does save people it's all just a little bit too just 
ultra macho, you know? Whereas, um, you know, like, it, it, just catching a helicopter, that, that's fine. By the way, this is... What a, what a funny scene. <laughs> See, also, um, you know, something wrong with the elevator. Like, Superman, Superman should be funny. You know why? 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 They just get the character wrong so much, don't they? Jeez. Um, so I don't know about you, but I have never noticed this before. But um, that is a that is some prominent packaging going on in the front of Superman. <laughs> Quite clearly, Jesus. All right. I'm going for a walk with, um, <laughs> I'm recording this on Friday night. I'm uh, going for a designated uh, exercise walk with uh, comedian Adam Richard tomorrow. And I might have to ask Adam if he ever noticed it, because I'm guessing if anyone did notice it, it would have been Adam. <laughs> but I have never noticed that before. And it is like, uh, goodness, there you go. He really is a Superman. <laughs> Uh, this is where the Man of Steel moniker comes from. Um, you know, it's just him flying around, doing shit. Man of Steel Superman's, you know, hiding in case he does some good. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. I haven't seen this in a long time. I'm really enjoying this. Um... Another crazy uh, suggestion. Um, this one's not so crazy. This one's actually quite... Like, you can see how this could have uh, worked, but... Um, oh, yeah. Like, he's just unimpressed with these guys. Superman on the boat is just unimpressed. <laughs> Bad vibrations. Soups. Bring in the gags. I love it. And these cops, you know, this is, um, you know, these look like the kind of cops that, you know, for breakfast had donuts. You remember that old cliche? And the boat's delivered. <laughs> and Superman flying off. And they're going off to get really drunk. By the way, Superman, don't get me wrong, it's impressive that you've dropped a, uh, <laughs> a boat there, but they've got to remove that. <laughs> uh, so, this scene with the cat. This is a very different time. So, he... He flies down, drops the cat. Perfect, right? You know, that's that's what you want from Superman. And then this girl goes inside, 
and she gets hit. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> if you if you didn't think this movie was from a different era. <laughs> I can't I can't stop thinking about how uh this movie would play out if it was you know, like if this version was made by Zack Snyder now. Now that little girl's a drug addict. By the way, can lightning strike the engine of a plane and make it explode like that? Because, um, you know, as as someone who doesn't fly as much as he used to, uh, get out COVID, uh, that is a mildly terrifying uh, proposition, don't you think? Um, Christopher Lee was offered the General Zod role, uh, and that's a that's a pretty good uh, call. I like Terrence Stamp in it, but. Um, Christopher Lee was offered the role, but turned it down because he just left Britain for tax reasons, and he moved to the US, and uh, a lot of this movie was filmed in Britain, so that's why he um, said no to the role. The, um, you know, Superman Returns, which is such a nothing film, and it's so weird because it's... It's it's like it's so in love with these Richard Donner films and wants to kind of be almost like the third film after after uh, the first two. But and you know like the plane scene that is riveting. Like that is a riveting scene, and I remember seeing parts of that in the trailer and being so excited, and then that was the last exciting thing that happened in the film. And it's like a third of the way in. And it's this weird film about real estate. That's a weird, like, it's just so bizarre. And once again, you kind of wonder, um, you know, you wonder what kind of Superman Brandon Routh could have been. And you, like, like, I don't think Henry Cavill is... I don't think he's bad as Superman. I just don't think he's had the movie, to be honest. You know, can you... See, that's a, that's the thing that Hugh Jackman was lucky with in uh, getting Wolverine because he gets um, he gets the first X-Men film, which is solid, was pretty, like, pretty groundbreaking for its time, actually. Builds off the early you know, the surprise success of Blade as being a, a superhero uh, uh, comic book character that could, you know, step over into uh, some mainstream success. And then X-Men 2, which is... I, I feel like it's a, still a pretty good film, actually. And, but um, Hugh Jackman gets to be fucking amazing in that, especially in that scene when they attack the uh, uh, the, the school for the young mutants and he just goes nuts. I remember watching that scene and thinking, oh my God, this is everything I ever wanted from a Wolverine scene. It was so good. And then, you know... He gets a. He still gets a couple of good scenes in Superman. Uh, sorry, in X Men Three. That's not a very good film, but he gets uh, he gets the jungle bit. I think, which is from I've only ever seen the movie once, but from memory, is a pretty exciting uh, moment. Even if the rest of the film is not great, um, 
but anyway, you know, he still, even though there's some films that don't quite get it right, uh, he's still got uh, lots of opportunities to prove himself. But Henry Cavill hasn't really, like, can you have a mediocre film, a not very good film and a terrible film to <laughs> be Superman in? And then, like, are you going to get your good one? Are you going to get that opportunity? By the way, while we're while we're talking about it, um, the um, the Wolverine, I feel like that is almost a great film. I, I just wish they once again hadn't finished with a big CGI fucking silver samurai fight. You have a hundred ninjas there. Have him fight a hundred ninjas in the snow. That would be phenomenal. That's what I wanted in, uh, you know, that's what I wanted in the latest Marvel Black Widow movie. You have all of, anyway, I know not everyone's quite seen that just yet, but there are, there's just a point where you could just actually, you know, make it a an all-out physical fight and they just kind of, you know, resort to CGI and it just bums me out to to tell you the truth. Um, Steven Spielberg was offered Superman but asked for too much money. The producers thought they'd wait to see how his little up-and-coming movie would go at the cinemas and then they'd go from there. What was that movie? Jaws. There you go. And then by then he's too big to come back to Superman or he's just doing his own thing. Also, Lois, not afraid to have a little drink. Wow. (laughs) Also, um, (laughs) Chris Reeve is such a good actor. Oh, by the way. He just does a little cancer check on her. Like, that's a pretty... (laughs) That's a dark joke, isn't it? Like, when you think about it, you know, this is a kid's film. Lois is having a drink. She's having a cigarette. He does a little cancer check. Oh, no, you don't have it yet. That's good. And he just knows how to, like... Even the way he just kind of sits down, he's... He just looks really comfortable. (laughs) And he's wearing a costume. So good. So good. Imagine Steven Spielberg making this film. What do you think... Um... Oh, look, Soups is flirty as well, right? But see, so... So, years ago, um, uh, the comic book writer Grant Morrison was at a... Um, uh, at a comic book convention and he was uh, i think he was about to start work on superman and he he saw a, a guy dressed as superman he may have oh sorry they uh, i have to remember grant has changed their pronouns uh Sorry about that. That is, in case anyone is a fan, it is one of those things that I am trying to remember. 
but uh, sometimes it just slips. But anyway, uh, so Grant Morrison was going to take over writing. They may have been taking some drugs at the same time. I don't think every experience that Grant Morrison has had has been on drugs, but this one may have. And they saw a person, uh, a man dressed as Superman. So they interviewed this guy. And one of the things, you know, just, hey, how do you feel about Batman? How, what's your relationship with this? How do you feel about Lois? All this kind of stuff. And the thing that Morrison took from it, which you notice in this film, is that the guy, while he was talking, dressed as Superman, just sat there really casually. And Grant Morrison was like, oh, yeah, like, if you are invulnerable, you know, can't be shot, you know, if you can fly, if you have super strength, you know what you're not doing? You're not walking around constantly striking a pose. And, you know, like, like Christopher Reeve looks amazing, right? But he's not, he's not Henry Cavill fit. He's, you know, he's 70s fit. But see how the way he sits down, the way he stands, he's not, he's not feeling like he needs to prove anything. And because, and that's because he's confident and he's, he's powerful and he doesn't need to be showing it off and so if you look at the cover for all-star superman it's superman sitting on a cloud looking over his shoulder looking really serene and you know that's my superman that's exactly what i want i think he is funny i think he is uh you know a smart character i i don't think he would slip into some weird-ass, dark self. I don't think he would work for the government. Like, I just I just think the character has been fundamentally misread in so many ways over the years because it often just resorts to, oh, you know what would be cool? Fucking dark Superman, mate. And I just totally agree with that. And I, 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 I do believe that it is fundamentally something that is kind of a bit childish because I thought the same thing when I read The Dark Knight Returns when I was a teenager and it has a, a compromised Superman going up against a Batman. And, you know, that that comic has had a really bad influence on, on the character over the years. You know. Like, there's just... He, you know, he's a good, he's a good person. You don't, you don't have to make a good person not good to make it interesting. What you have to do, and this is what this movie does, is you have to make a good person make some decisions and have to act upon those decisions and they've got to try and think their way through their morals. They've got to think their way through how they're going to, uh, you know, make the right choice. I remember, uh, speaking of Frank Miller, who wrote The Dark Knight Returns and uh, drew it, of course, with the artwork of uh, Klaus Janssen and uh, Colours of Lynn Varley. Uh, Frank Miller, in an interview that I read, 
said, uh, this is this is the sex scene. This is a superhero's sex scene. And if you think about it, it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, he takes her flying. Oh, God, Twin Towers, Jesus. That's um still kind of weeds you out when you see it in movies, doesn't it? Like, see those two uh, towers there. Uh, but anyway, I feel like this is possibly a scene that I'm going to take a guess. There might be people writing to me going, oh, what's this? You'd cut this. But once again, as a kid, this was pretty mesmerizing. Um, so here's a, oh yeah. So uh, what was I saying before? Oh, Spielberg. Uh, a Spielberg Superman would have been interesting, but I'm glad it's Richard Donner. Um, uh, Jeff East, who plays teenage Clark Kent, had three to four hours of prosthetic makeup applied to his face to resemble Reeve more. That's interesting, isn't it? Uh, I, I think he does a really good job in those uh, small scenes, but... Um, ah, jeez, Lois would be cold. Like, they're up high, aren't they, right? <laughs> So she was, this was originally, Steph, you'll be rapt about this. This scene was, they were originally going to have her sing a song or something like that. And it was like, they got Margot Kidder to uh, record the song, but the song was, um, you know, they the, the report was she sounded like an actor singing rather than someone singing. So, geez, it's um, it's a it's a, it's a it's a pretty confident Superman that he is um, really just holding her by the fingertips. Oh, oh dear! There she goes. <laughs> See, it's the lovemaking scene, right? It's very romantic. Okay, well, this this kind of little poetry bit's a bit weird. I think these were the <laughs> originally the lyrics for the uh, the song that she was supposed to sing, and then they said, "Why don't you just say them?" Um. it's all very pretty though but you know this is back when uh, you know this would have been the nice romantic moment for uh, (laughs) for people who wanted a little bit of that in the film by the way do you ever watch films and just have moments where even though you're really enjoying it remember that these people are on strings and that these people are, (laughs) you know, surrounded by cameramen and, you know, directors and they're actually doing a really good job. I I sometimes have that when I'm, even when I'm really enjoying a movie, I'll sit there and I think, I know they're acting opposite someone who's got lots of dots on them that is going to have CGI applied to them a little bit later on. That's actually quite good. Oh. 
Yeah, I, I love that. Um, Lois freaks out over that bird, but it's like, imagine if you're that bird. You are up in the air, and suddenly there are two humans flying along. You'd be like thinking, fuck, didn't we have this? Isn't isn't this <laughs> our area? They're meant to be down there. It's bad enough they get in planes. Ah, oh, yeah, look at that. Um... So I thought you might like to know that Christopher Reeve was a trained pilot and he used that experience to make the flying scenes look more realistic. Uh, the, the first looks were pretty bad from all reports and then um, he uh, he just kind of brought a physicality to uh, those scenes where he could um, make it look more like he was flying, uh, just kind of knew how to move himself around and then suddenly it was all all working again. Yeah, so, um, you know, that's a pretty confident Superman, right? Not, not afraid to be a little bit flirty. Um, Gene Hackman refused to shave his head or even wear a bald cap for most of his scenes. Hackman decided that his character would wear a bunch of wigs to imply he was bald underneath. Man, actors, right? This is so good. This is so good. (laughs) He, um... Like, look at the way he... <laughs> he's <laughs> Lois, uh, you uh an alcoholic. So this is one of my favorite scenes. This scene here where he Like he takes off the glasses and the way he changes his posture and his face Like his face changes shape. Like it's it's phenomenal, phenomenal acting. And then, like, the panic, and then, like, oh, man, just so underrated. So underrated. The way he just physically changes shape. And, um, yeah... It just kind of makes you sad, doesn't it? How how it all how it all ended. But anyway, let's not get down on our on. You know, we're having a good time hanging out. Um, the yeah. Anyway, uh, Arthur Carter on our Big Squid uh, Facebook page. Uh, he said. Um, Something featuring the Punisher as the gruff but non-superpowered anti-hero and the magically gifted but cocky Doctor Strange playing off each other would be a hoot as the ultimate unlikely buddy cop flick of the year. And he's added a picture and it turns out there has been a comic called... The Doctor Strange and the Punisher in Magic Bullets. 
I do not recognise that comic at all, and I do not recognise the people who created it. But that is very funny. What a like you were correct. That and for some reason, I'm sorry, Arthur. It took me a moment to notice this. Uh, Doctor Strange is holding a magic gun, while the Punisher is hanging uh, hanging onto a real gun. Anyway. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? So, uh, would you, Arthur, if you're listening, would you have the um, John Berthel Punisher and uh, the Benedict Cumberbatch Doctor Strange? That would be interesting, wouldn't it? <laughs> That's a very funny thing. Um, Rachel Blair has said, I'd like to see something come out of Sean Murphy's Batman White Knight. His Jack Napier is great. A decent late 80s, early 90s, Nine Inch Nails based soundtrack, and I'd be happy. Rachel, like, coming in hot. That is great. What a great suggestion. Sean Murphy's, I've only read uh, the first one. Uh, Has the second one come out? As a graphic novel, uh, uh, I don't know if it has. If it has, I'll get it because I really enjoyed the first one. I think the first one was actually given to me as a gift. Was that was that a gift from you, Wayne? I feel like maybe you sorted me out with that, or did I just buy it from uh, King's Comics? But um, anyway, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, that's great. Oh. Uh, a nineties kind of nine inch nails sound would be. Would you would you get the original music, Rachel, or would you get Trent Reznor and uh, Atticus Ross to do what almost like not a pastiche, but do uh, how they would do that music now? Interesting, right? Interesting. Um. This movie was filmed during the infamous 1977 blackout in New York. The New York Daily News was only able to continue publishing through the blackout because the producers let the paper use their generators. So there's something kind of uh, uh, poetic about, um, you know, the... uh, uh, Superman and the, uh, you know, Clark works at the Daily Planet and they, they help the real news keep going. I always found uh, this part of the movie to be quite like, you know, <laughs> Gene Hackman does wear a lot of, um, a lot of weird ass wigs. And you know what the best thing is, is that they would have crashed that car. That's a real car. That's a real car crashing. Um, It always... (laughs) Look at this idiot hiding in the trees in the most garish um, shirt that you've seen. And Valerie Perrine looking like... um, (laughs) Looking like Marilyn Monroe from that angle anyway. I know this is only stupid, but as a kid, um, the idea that um, nuclear missiles were just being, um, you know, driven around always terrified me. That's Larry Hagman. 
this is all weird. This woman's been in an accident, and now there's anyway there's some some weird ass innuendo going on. Um, different times, people. Different times. Um, so the movie is divided into three segments. Uh, so Krypton is a science fiction movie. Uh, Smallville is shot to evoke the paintings of Norman Rockwell. By the way, in my notes, I've accidentally spelt Norman as normal. Maybe, maybe that could be my um, that could be my drag name, Normal Rockwell. I do very old-fashioned 1950s kinds of dances. <laughs> <laughs> that looked like I've come straight out of a Norman Rockwell painting. Uh, so Smallville is shot to evoke a, a Norman Rockwell painting. And then, of course, Metropolis is a traditional modern movie set in the real world. And it just happens to have a superhero in it. Such a good move, isn't it? Like, you know, if the if the world looks real, if the world feels real and then there's an internal logic then it allows you to embrace the fantastic that happens around it we've gone on about that before uh also with this film there's the typical joseph campbell hero's journey that plays out uh you know there's the call and then there's the journey so you know the first section of the film which is the krypton part that's the the colder journey from krypton to earth then, of course, there's the call to a journey from Smallville to the Fortress of Solitude. And then, finally, it is the call to travel from uh, Metropolis to the um, rest of the world. So, that's a... Um, that's a, that, that, that's kind of interesting to think about, isn't it? Uh it's really interesting. And considering they were also filming the second film as well, like like the, the Phantom Zone stuff at the start, you know, it works for this film because it shows you that Jor-El has a place of standing even if they, you know, they're not quite listening to him on all, on all of the stuff that he's trying to get out there. But, um, yeah, it... Uh, but then it's just kind of gone, isn't it? And it's like, oh, okay. And then that was, they were already planning ahead and setting up that second film. That was great as a kid. When when I found out that the second film was going to have three Kryptonians who were super powered, I was pumped. I was like, this well. How's he going to deal with this? <laughs> I was really into it. And I know it's flawed, and I know that it's butchered. I'll have to, I'll have to watch the Richard Donner cut. I can't believe that I've never watched that. I don't quite know why I haven't watched that, but um, yeah, interesting that uh, the movie just goes off into these kind of uh, storylines, and uh, oh yeah, <laughs> Lois is. <laughs> Lois is so dangerous. I often watch in movies when people are driving along and they're they're talking and they're like looking right at their um 
looking right at the person and not looking at the road, I always think, ah. <laughs> keep it. Like I know there's a move, but keep your eye on the, <laughs> keep your eye on where you're going. <laughs> Clark. Clark. Um, let's have a look at, uh, so I, so I like Rachel Blair's uh, suggestion. Uh, Matt Deegan, did I get your, I, I, I say again, uh, Matt, um, I, uh, I apologize if I'm getting that last name pronunciation incorrect. I wouldn't mind a Blade remake that takes place in the 90s with associated hip-hop culture woven throughout the story. Ideally, it would take place at the height of the East Coast-West Coast feud. Jesus, Matt, that is great. Well, you know, like if, um, you know, if, if we were working at Marvel, we could have, we could have, uh, you know, if we could have set the Daredevil stuff in the 70s and then... Um, then we could have moved Blade into into the nineties. Feels like a good idea, doesn't it? Oh, all those dogs! Ah, oh, Christopher Reeve. I've got. I'm look. I'm going to apologise that I keep getting upset <laughs> at certain times every time I see Christopher Reeve. Uh, but I do love him. Um, and then Daniel Hubble has said, I'd do a Savage Land movie with a, with Kazar. Is it Kazar? It's Kazar, isn't it? It's not Kazar. Hazar. It's Kazar. <laughs> Hazar. It's Kazar. Kazar. Uh, I'd do a Savage Land movie with Kazar as the main character and Sauron as the antagonist. That could set up a whole new area for the MCU to explore. Well, I guess you could almost do... Uh, some of those, um, like you could you could set three movies there and just set them right there, right? So that would be uh, that would be interesting. Um, I love that in this movie, Superman just has the ability to have his clothes transform without doing anything. That was always. Th- this is one of the things that I love is the idea that if you lived in Metropolis, you would just have moments where you'd look out the window and, and there's Superman. You'd live in Metropolis, wouldn't you? Like, but would you live in Gotham? Like, Gotham <laughs> Gotham seems pretty scary. I think there's... Uh, so there's a comic called uh, Gotham Central which is like a um uh uh like a police procedural like it's like reading homicide life on the street uh, except you know they're dealing with all these crazy maniacal supervillains and they're you know um having to deal with batman doing all sorts of things uh you know it is it's a great, great uh, set of four, I think it is, graphic novels, and I think they're making a TV series based on it. Um, but Gotham always looked more dangerous to me than Metropolis, and at least in Metropolis you'd always feel 
In Metropolis, you feel that if you were on top of a building and you slipped, Superman would come out of nowhere and save you. But in um, Gotham, you feel like, oh, maybe Batman will avenge me. <laughs> um, Jamie East. You have not answered the question, Jamie. Um, I think you're just angry about stuff in the world. <laughs> so, uh, I'm, you know, I've just asked, what, what, what would be your perfect superhero film? And let's take a guess at where Jamie is emotionally with stuff that's gone on in the news this week. Here's his response. Well, I think we need an entrepreneur man who champions the little guy, pays good wages with benefits, pays fair tax, is philanthropic, supports youth education and training, community projects, supports indigenous businesses, supports renewable energy and scientific exploration into climate change, reducing hunger and creating affordable medicine, not putting phallic-shaped craft into space for shits and giggles. Well, it's not a very interesting movie, Jamie. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, and also, uh, A, you have described uh, Bruce Wayne, that is uh, Batman, who uh, does pay tax and pays good wages and champions the little guy, and he hides behind the veneer of being uh, this uh, multi-billionaire playboy, but he's philanthropic uh, and he does do all of that. So what you've, what you've described is Batman. You've got that, Jamie. You have got it. Why are you upset? Um, you know, when uh, Superman was first created, he was uh, very much, uh, you know, like he couldn't fly, like he, he used to be able to leap tall buildings in a single bound, you know, and he used to go after the mob. He used to uh, be, you know, he, he was protecting the little man. He used to go and uh, hand out justice to... Uh, men who treated their wives poorly, <laughs> like he was, um, he was a very uh, different kind of uh, character to how we know him now. I wonder if I can find. Um, uh, it's, it's a bit hard to sometimes uh, find things at the last second, but uh, I have Grant Morrison's book here, Super Gods, um, which the back reads. Um, what masked vigilantes, miraculous mutants, and a sun god from Smallville can teach us about being human. Um, Morrison draws on art, archetypes, and he, and their own astonishing journey through this shadow universe to provide the first true history of our great modern myth. And there was a point where Morrison did, uh, you know, they rebooted Superman yet again, and he rebooted him as this, uh, getting right back to those early, early uh, stories where, you know, when he was first published. And he... Um, he kind of made him more, you know, going up against the man. So, you know, you might you might find that to be quite a an interesting read. I don't know if I can find it. Uh, I should have looked that up earlier. 
but it gets into um, uh, Jamie the the kind of storylines that you're that you're wanting to tell. Um, by the way, I know you were just having a bit of a uh, a rant, but um, I just also want you to know that there is stuff out there that would probably make you quite happy. Anyway, I can't find it. But uh, that book is definitely worthwhile reading if you would like to delve into the way the uh, Superman mythology, and not just Superman, but the superhero mythology uh, has kind of represented uh, over time the, the, the different stages of life. Superman in the 50s is really interesting as well because it is created by men who had been or endured World War II. And they're trying to find their way in society. And there's all these weird Superman stories that kind of reveal a different type of angst. And they reveal a, uh, you know, some, some real kind of emotional issues. So there's storylines where, you know, Superman wakes up and he's bald or suddenly he's really fat. Uh there's this famous Superman story about how he uh he creates a little miniature Superman out of his hand who goes around and everyone's really into the miniature version and then he's, you know, he gets jealous of the little guy. Um and it, it, it's it's a real kind of expression of the angst that men who had gone off to fight wars and now had to settle back into suburban life, and uh, and then all of this is through the prism of uh, of these strange comic books. But anyway, uh, I'm only touching on it by uh, describing this kind of stuff. This is, uh, once again, Grant Morrison's Super Gods is a fascinating read if you are interested in that kind of stuff. Uh, Good on you, Andrew Palmer, who said, it doesn't matter what I thought I wanted because it turns out what I need is a Daredevil 70s movie. Come on! I know! Ah, so good, right? I want it too. Um, there's all sorts of, uh, biblical comparisons in this movie. It's funny, you know, he's created by two young, uh, Jewish lads and, um, you know, and he's, and he's created around, like, I think they spent about six or seven years kind of developing the idea and developing the character. And, uh, but, you know, this is a, a Europe that is dealing with the scourge of, of Hitler and, you know, they are dealing with the, um, you know, the threat of fascism and, of course, Nazism. And, uh, you know, they create this 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 character who is in so many ways, uh, a wish fulfillment, isn't he? And, and it's, uh, fascinating that then, you know, we, we, the, the sun God mythology is, uh, applied to Superman and we get the, um, we get these, uh, biblical, uh, overtures, uh, and comparisons. But, uh, in this movie, you could say that Zod is Satan, 
And as uh, Satan was cast out of uh, heaven, uh, Zod is cast out of Krypton. Uh, the the ship that brings uh, baby Cal L to Earth is a star. Like, it literally looks like a star, doesn't it? Uh, then when Kal-El arrives, he is discovered by the Kents, uh, who are a couple who can't have a child. Uh, then just as little is known about Jesus during his middle years, you know, we see Clark go off as a, a teenager and then we see him, you know, off doing his own thing at the Fortress of Solitude and then, and then he turns up and he's Superman. Uh, of course, he then meets his father, who tells him that he sent him to Earth to lead them by his deeds and show them the way. So, uh, if you're into that kind of thing, that is uh, something that you can check. Once again, uh, you know, like Superman needs help getting this uh, kryptonite off him, but uh, he's appealing to, uh, you know, the, the innate goodness in... Um, in uh, this character, who, by the way, he's he's you know he's in trouble, and then she's like, <laughs> might get a little snogging. <laughs> kind of dangerous that she just throws the kryptonite away off into the um, <laughs> into the drain. He even looks amazing um, in that costume, and it's all. Yeah, <laughs> he shows her a, he shows her some nice affection, and then it's like, okay, uh, and that's that. Oh, good Superman! Um, once again, the uh, All Star Superman uh, graphic novels. The um, you know, it has. Uh, if if you are interested, it has a, a scene in it, uh, a page, that is one of the most affecting pieces of art that uh, I've ever experienced in in any format, and it's a it's a and it really sums up what makes the Superman character so wonderful, and it's I, I won't tell you what it is if if you've read it you probably before i even get to it you probably even know what i'm about to say that's how iconic this scene is but um uh but it's essentially a a young girl who is you know she's suicidal and anyway find that you know read the comic and uh, it's it's about in the graphic novel it'll be around uh chapter 10 and you will find it, and it is, it's so stunning, and it has been this uh, piece of art that has had a profound effect on people all over the world. Uh, Lots of people have written to Grant and and said that that uh, page has literally inspired them and uh, saved their lives, and it's like, wow, that's, that's just amazing, isn't it? This is um this was thrilling. <laughs> Gene Hackman is 
great. You know, you have a feeling that Gene Hackman is not um, really making too much effort with this movie, but he's such a good actor that the effort is still still pretty great, right? I, I'd never... I'd never heard of the San Andreas Fault before, so um, this was a uh, a terrifying uh, thought. I guess it still is a terrifying thought, but is it, you know, the, the idea that this would uh, collapse and California would fall into the sea, I'd never, um, I had never... Uh, really even heard about that before and it was like oh my god that is that is terrifying it was one of those things where I think uh, as a kid it made me uh, think Jesus like <laughs> where do you want to live <laughs> I'm not going to oh that, that place has uh, tornadoes I'm not living there that place has earthquakes I'm not living there um, <laughs> you know <laughs> a lot of scary places out there right all of this action, like, um, it still feels incredibly visceral, doesn't it? Oh. Um, by the way, uh, it, with a little bit of my... God, a lot happens here, doesn't it? it it's funny. I remembered, I remembered that individually all these things uh, occurred, but I, I completely, like, I, I weirdly remembered them as individual moments, but watching them all together and you're going, oh, yeah, there is, like, there is a lot, lot going on. Look at that. Look at the era when cars looked different as well. Like, not everyone had cars that looked the same. Um. Yeah, I re- oh, I remember. <laughs> yeah, that scene where he's under the earth and it's all red and the uh amongst the lava and, and pushing everything back up. That was uh you know, I'm pretty certain that's not how geography works, but who gives a shit? It looks really impressive. Um I so I did a little bit of uh research and the um a 500 megaton bomb would do far more damage to California and anywhere nearby. Um, so uh, I don't know how old this. I don't know if this information has been superseded in the last few years. Um, uh, but a uh, the largest nuclear weapon ever detonated was 57 megatons, and that caused damage up to 170 miles away. 500 megatons would be more than twice the power of the eruption of Krakatoa, the largest explosion in recorded history. Look at... See, I like Zack Snyder. See, see all these bits where Superman's saving people? Put that in Man of Steel. I feel like Man of Steel is a... I feel like it is a potentially easily saved movie. Like, of all the films to go back and uh, change things about, I would... <laughs> you know, he goes back and he reshoots uh, Justice League of, uh, of uh, you know, 
the, the four-hour Zack Snyder version. Oh, I've been sitting on the floor. Sorry. I'm just going to get myself comfortable. Uh, got a little bit stumbly there because I'm like, oh, I'm starting to... Should have had a nice little pillow to sit on or something like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, look at look at Superman just going around saving things. <laughs> Gentlemen, is that man all right? Oh, soups. Always checking shit out. But, you know, if you, uh, if, if you have... Park Kent not be some weird ass idiot. If you have, um, you know that final scene, like you just you just add, you add five or six minutes, just interspersed of him randomly saving people. There you go. You you, you know what you also don't need to do. You don't need to knock down every building. I feel like this movie is retrospectively making me um yeah it's 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 making me have to be honest about how I feel about man of steel <laughs> like I've just been just and all my friends know it as well. Like, all my friends know that I'm just <laughs> not being quite as honest about things uh, because I'm trying to, you know, be true to the experience I had with the person. And you know what? I appreciate my friends for letting me say the things I say and quite clearly not be, you know, uh, honest about my feelings of that film. Anyway, whatever. God, this was a... Uh this was a terrifying moment as a as a kid as well. Oh, oh yeah, like it's still wow, it's still really claustrophobic, isn't it? Oh, I'd forgotten. This is really oh. Well, this is you know this is they're actually dropping shit on her. That's why. But once again, this is what we were talking about with... Um, see the way he, Christopher Reeve moved his body then, like when he was flying downwards? It's, uh, he really did kind of understand fundamentally uh, how to make that work. But yeah, you put him in a situation where he, you know... Like, I, I think it's a, a, a thing of genius that it's a, um, a missile going in one direction and a missile going in another direction. Okay. So... What are you what are you gonna do? I guess the ending is a slight cheat, but also you know, as a kid I don't wanna be bummed out. <laughs> I really don't. Even um you know, the Empire Strikes Back ends in a uh you know, like like, that's kind of the darker movie. You do have Luke losing a hand. You do have Han Solo being captured. But they also get away. And they also live to fight another day. And there is still a victory in that. And you also are so blown away by the fact that Darth Vader is uh, Luke's father. And Superman's trainer. <laughs> But um, 
by the way, I know that looks like models and, you know, I know that kind of almost looks a little bit like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe the special effects of um, Monkey. Oh, man. Man, that car being crushed is full on. Oh. And um, you just, you know what? I feel like I'm about to do a two-hour callback. Did I ever finish off what uh, I learnt about myself as a kid with the third Superman movie? If if I if I didn't get around to telling you, I'm I'm going to tell you now. And if I have forgotten, because even though it's been like a, a two hour journey on on the podcast, I've I've had to stop a couple of times to uh, wait for the uh, buffering to uh, sort itself out, my internet to kind of improve. But anyway, um, you know when Richard Pryor falls from the building and he's on the skis, I think it is, and he he kind of falls all the way down from the top of a building and lands fine and he's completely safe. Uh, I just fundamentally knew that was a mistake because it's like, well, if this is a world where someone can fall off a building and that happens, then what's the point of having Superman? Whereas this is a world where this can happen. By the way, good acting by Christopher Reeve. Oh, man. Like, see, because look, look what he does. He doesn't turn evil. He comes up with a solution because that's fucking Superman. <laughs> All you idiots that want to make him be nasty. What does it say about our culture now that we're constantly trying to make anyone that is decent be a shithead? Is that what we've come to? Is that is that how cynical the world is now? Oh, it's such a good little moment of acting when he's putting her down and she just kind of moves in that strange way and he just kind of flinches. Such a nice little touch. It's such a... Such a really tragically human... Like tragic as in... Like you can feel the pain, like you can feel the sadness... Oh, yes. Yeah, like, once again, like, anyone who doesn't think that... Oh. Yeah. See, I love the idea of Jorel coming up and telling him, you know, you're not allowed to interfere, and then... But then he's... It's like he, um... He he's ruled by Parkent. Like this is this is Parkent 
kind of speaking to him. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm guessing him spinning back the earth to, uh, you know, turn back time is, you know, this is, this is superhero physics right here. Like, this is the comic book physics of, you know, how things get done. But with the music, with his acting, I'm into it. Like, I'm just into it. And I I wonder, uh, you know, what happens with the second movie where, you know, you you have... um, like I wonder I wonder if there was a plan for a third film because this is so meticulously laid out and to have Jor-El remind him you know you can't interfere you can't you can't do anything and then to have him do something uh that breaks that rule I wonder if there were plans further along maybe that weren't going to be touched in the second but maybe in the third I don't know Michael Kidd has got such beautiful eyes, hasn't she? Yeah, and he's just happy to be berated. He doesn't, you know... She's so great. There's a little, um, you know, we watched Raiders of the Lost Ark last week and, uh, oh, Jimmy, Jimmy. About to have a little snog. Jimmy Olsen. That's another thing, like Jimmy Olsen should be, you know, Heaps of fun and, and you know, kind of cool. Like, you know, kind of dorky cool. But he's, you know, he's Superman's best pal. He should be heaps of fun. You should you should be looking at Jimmy and you should be looking at uh, and Lois and you should be thinking, well, she's, she's the most interesting person in the world and that's why Superman loves her. And Jimmy should just be coming up with... He should be funny and he should be coming up with interesting things that, Superman has never thought about before and he just really appreciates them. You know, they've got to be they've got to be good fun. Like don't pretend don't make him a fucking CIA agent and then have him shot in the face. Like that's a fucking insane thing that Zack Snyder did. <sighs> uh Superman. And I wonder why he just wouldn't wear the bald cap all the time. He looks great. He suddenly looks completely like Lex Luthor, doesn't he? Man. That warden comes in hot, doesn't he? (laughs) 
with his performance. He's like, I've got one line and, and I am, uh, I'm going to deliver it with gusto and verve. Uh, this has been great. I have really, really, uh, even with my crazy intent. Oh, one more time. Oh, look at the way he smiles. What a beautiful man. And that brings us to the end of Superman. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I hope uh, I wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't too annoying for you that uh, there were times where I uh, had to kind of sort things out. Um with the internet, I've hopefully kept that pretty uh, slick. <laughs> hopefully, anyway, I've learned a lesson for tonight, so that is good. Uh, in case nobody mentioned it, like they may have gotten it right, but if you are not uh, watching this on the Saturday night that we all are, and you're watching this later, and you're wondering, hey, what was the favourite line? Who was your favourite character? My favourite character in the movie is the pimp. And he only gets out one moment when he sees Superman for the first time, and he's like, say, Jim, that's a bad outfit. And then Superman flies off, he's like, woo! That's my favourite guy. That's who I would make a whole movie about, that, that pimp. Say, Jim. Anyway. <laughs> Anytime I see my friends from now on and if they dress well, I'm going to say, Say, Jim, that's a bad outfit. Anyway, I hope somebody got it right because then they have one shit off my desk. And for the rest of you who could be listening to this at any other point, that was my favourite line. That uh, brings us to the end of this podcast so thank you for joining me this evening or thank you for joining me in general maybe we can do another one there um i'll I'll see what i've got in the blu-ray collection so i can avoid the uh, the annoyance of uh things buffering um you know i've got a few things coming up work-wise but uh if you would like me to do more, uh, please let me know on uh, the Facebook page, uh, either the private page or the open page. Either or, I'll check both of them. So uh, if there's enough of you who think they would like to do this next Saturday, maybe we can keep doing this during lockdown and uh, keep ourselves company while all of this is going on, especially while it's cold as well. Hopefully uh, not too far into the future, we'll be out and about again. Um, yeah. Uh, If you're enjoying uh, the podcast, please leave Big Squid a top review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Word of mouth is really helpful too. So if you know people who are passionate about art and entertainment, please let them know we're here to entertain and celebrate everything we enjoy. We try not to be cynical. We sometimes will be critical, but it always comes from a place of love. Uh, Big Squid will be back next week So I was going to put up uh, I was actually going to do The next Pass the Ammo segment With Garth Jones Which is the which finishes off um, Mad Max But I recorded with Angela Fouapierre And her stuff was a little bit more uh, 
you know, it, it, it kind of makes sense to have that come out now. So I will do uh, Ange next Tuesday. And then we continue our rewatch of The Leftovers on Thursday with episode two of season three. Uh, For those of you who haven't been a part of that, uh, The Leftovers is my favourite TV show of all time. And we've been watching the episodes week to week. And I do, uh, I record a podcast, which after you've watched the episode, uh, breaks down what happens in the episode, uh, points out some things that are kind of going on. Uh, you know, thematically and, you know, anyway, it's just given me a really uh, great excuse to uh, just watch it again and watch it closely and watch it with slightly different eyes. And and I'm, I'm preaching the gospel, in all honesty. I am preaching the gospel of the leftovers. Some people find it to be a little bit too dark, but I actually find it to be an incredibly uh, beautiful series. Uh, I think it's very funny. I think it's fascinating. And I actually find it really uplifting. But, you know, <laughs> when I'd like, yeah. sometimes people will point out, oh, yeah, but this, this, and this happens. And you go, yeah, 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 yeah no, I, I get that. I know that's kind of dark, but I don't know. Like, is. Um Anyway, whatever. I love it. So we'll be putting up... We're up to the final season, actually. So we're just starting that. And if you're interested in going back over it and watching the series, those podcasts are there for you. But anyway, we will definitely do uh, those two next week and keep an eye on uh, either the podcast or you can uh, head over to the Facebook page or follow me on Twitter at Justin Hamilton underscore and if uh, if I can make sure that I can do this properly and on time uh, I'll make uh, a decision and uh, put that up then for you uh, right okay I feel like we should finish off tonight with a quote from Christopher Reeve uh, he said, I think a hero is an ordinary individual who finds strength to preserve and endure in spite of overwhelming obstacles. You know what? I reckon that's slightly wrong. I reckon the... Hang on, let me just look that up. I reckon that is... I reckon my autocorrect has changed that word. I reckon it is. I think a hero is an ordinary individual who finds strength to persevere and endure in spite of overwhelming obstacles. That makes a little bit more sense, doesn't it? Christopher Reeve. (sighs) That's my Superman. That's my guy. And re-watching this film... You know what? It just... Yeah. What a legend. Thanks for hanging out with me. I've had a really good time. And we will catch up again very soon. Until then.
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.